Hi guys, welcome back to the latest episode of the Irish Balance podcast. If you're a regular listener, I'm really glad to have you back. And it's, if it's your first episode, then it's awesome to have new people tune in always. In case you are new to the podcast, my name is Kira. I'm an Irish girl and a qualified medical doctor, and I'm working in public health, really passionate about preventative medicine, particularly how our lifestyles affect our health. Um, and today in the podcast, we're going to be talking about something that's always very topical, diets and relationships with food. And I'm delighted to bring you this week's guest, nurse and evidence-based nutritionist Robin Taff, who runs the Lifestyle Clinic and can be found at the Lifestyle underscore clinic on Instagram. So I've been following Robin's page for a few months now, and it was brilliant to meet up a couple of times in person this year as well. Robin advocates a non-diet approach to food and nutrition in her clinic and places an equal importance on movement and self-care, which I love. And as many of you might be aware, I'm sure we do live in a world where diets seem to be literally everywhere. We're exposed to words relating to diets, um, as it's called from childhood to later life, particularly at home and at school and sometimes at college or work. And as we move through different social circles, um, particularly through consumption of mass and social media. Um, I've definitely fallen out of it in the past, thinking about things in a kind of a black and white way, good foods versus bad foods. Um, and I think it's really important to bring someone who knows what they're talking about on, in this area onto the podcast. Before I introduce Robin and get her to tell you a little bit more about herself, I wanted to share a disclaimer that Robin and I will be discussing in this podcast um, different, I suppose, concepts around diet, um, possibly things around food restriction. And I want to highlight that if anyone does identify with symptoms of concern that we discussed, it's really important to seek in-person um, consultation with a registered healthcare professional, either your doctor, a dietitian or a nutritionist. So with all that said, welcome, Robin. How are you doing? So good. That was such a nice intro. Thank you. Not at all. Absolutely. I think I went on a little bit long there, but hopefully no, everyone has an idea of what we're going to chat about today. I'm so grateful to you for giving us your time um, to chat on the podcast. And I'm really excited for our conversation. Could Me you too. tell? Yeah, it should be really good. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how the Lifestyle Clinic got started? Yes, absolutely. So as Kira said, my name is Robin and I am a registered nurse. Um, nutritionist and a qualified personal trainer and I currently run my own clinic called the Lifestyle Clinic and it very much focuses on incorporating um, different aspects of our lifestyle with the aim of prevention and kind of improving lifestyle related disease um, and I suppose it kind of came came to a head when I became ill as a child I was diagnosed with a hereditary heart condition and my lifestyle really wasn't in the best place to support my health after that diagnosis. And I think a lot of that was due to a lack of knowledge um, as well. So there was a lot of different factors. But uh, over the years, my health definitely deteriorated. And when I was 18, I was told I'd need um, a pacemaker put in to support my heart. And this was just something I really, really didn't want. Um, and in hindsight, I think it was definitely the wake up call that I did need. Um, mm. But I just wasn't sure where to start. I mean, there's so much information out there. And and knowing what's what's true and, and and what we should really be doing and, and what might not work is just it's a bit of a minefield. So um after trying to do it myself um and qualifying as a nurse, I kind of thought, right, I think it's time for me to to study nutrition and I think it'd be great for me to be able to incorporate it maybe with patients and and pass on little tips that I might have. Um mm. like the, the goal in the end was was to have a clinic and to be kind of a multidisciplinary team. And I never thought that'd actually happen this soon so it's been brilliant and now I'm lucky enough to work in a GP practice and I have two really supportive GPs we have um a great kind of relationship where I bounce off them and they refer to me and I also run their bloods clinic so I am I'm quite linked with any patients that do need nutritional lifestyle advice so 
it's been great. It sounds like it's gone through such a journey since your yeah. first kind of vision for it came about. How have you found yeah. that process? Mad. Like, <laughs> I, never, <laughs> I never expected it to happen. But I kind of said once I finished the course and, and I think the, the thing with nursing as well is I was so lucky to be able to take on a course at the same time because it's not a position that everyone is in. And I know I get a lot of nurses and people who, who would like to branch out of their career, but it's not always an easy transition yeah. so I was I was really really lucky um but I I, I kind of just started taking on clients and then I had worked with the GP that I'm with now um as a staff nurse and I just messaged him and wondered did he have a clinic room that I could rent to see my clients with the hope of maybe being able to to refer to him and get some referrals off him mm. and he said yes and <laughs> fantastic then asked me to do his blood clinic yeah so it's been fallen into place um which I never yeah. expected but I love it it's brilliant and you mentioned their multidisciplinary um approach which is so important yeah. it's something that I've absolutely always advocated as a doctor and been part yeah. of many multidisciplinary teams but um within the clinic um I suppose do you feel like there's a, a cloud of approaches in you have people you see he has people he see and you kind of meet halfway where yeah. there are conditions that warrant I suppose lifestyle um improvement perhaps is the best yeah. word absolutely Absolutely. And I think one of the most important things, and it's something I always remember, is that no one can ever know anything. So if I have a client where I feel they need, like there's only red flags or I need to refer them on to a GP, I will send them to to one of the, the GPs. There's a male and female that I work with. And likewise, if they have kind of anyone that we get blood results back, they might have high cholesterol or type 2 diabetes or anything like that, they'll refer on to me and, and we can work together to just make some positive changes. And I'll, also, from a mental health perspective, I do get some clients who come in with eating disorders and that is something I will refer them straight to the GP and also to, we have a counsellor as well um, that we would refer on to. So it's it's really important. None of us know everything, so it's great to have that extra support. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. I think, you know, the more you know, the more you don't know is something that I've exactly. become increasingly aware of as a healthcare practitioner. Yeah. and. I think no one can be an expert of everything or anything, really. Even the people who are at the top of their field, there's always going to be yeah. more we don't know. I think it's really important to uh, yeah. say that. So we're going to talk about a few things on the podcast today. But one thing that you have shared a lot of content on is this concept of diet culture. And I know I've personally mm -hmm. seen a lot of um, posts about it from people I follow in the UK. But um, in case the listeners aren't aware of what diet culture is or they're not aware of whether they've seen it or not before, what is diet culture? So diet culture, the way I explain it is if, if a client comes to me or someone asks, is it's a way of eating um, that's presented to us that has rules and that might vary from, say, set amounts of foods we're allowed to have or counting our calories um, when it's not entirely necessary or restricting foods or different food groups and um, mm. conditions on food like say only eating or eating that you consider to be treated by skipping a meal it's a kind of approach food and it, it almost makes it really restrictive and um, diet culture can be quite sneaky but it can really kind of suck people and to be able to move fully past it, it's great to be able to be aware of what it is and to to know that there's nothing wrong with dieting. I mean, I am completely, I've fallen akin to it. I've tried so many diets in the past and so many people have and and, and 
it's good now that we're able to have this conversation and to start kind of shedding a light on it. And it's not to say, I don't think we can say that diets don't work at all. I think mm-hmm. short-term diets do. Like if you create a calorie deficit, the person is going to lose weight, but what we don't see is the long-term. And yeah. the damage to our relationship with food that comes from that. Um, I don't know if you've ever read the book by Stephen Covey. It's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I've heard of it, but I haven't yeah. read it. Oh, it's brilliant. So he actually talks in his book about us as humans. We're drawn to remedy a problem without kind of thinking about the long-term implications mm-hmm. um, just for the quick fix. And I can relate to this for sure. Um, and I think a lot of us can that we, like I'm so attracted naturally to the short-term benefits and, and the long-term benefits I don't really think of as much. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, this actually makes the problem worse rather than solving it. So again it's just about being aware of it and then you can start to make positive changes and to to start I suppose digging deep and finding some self-compassion for yourself it's not like you're, there's nothing wrong with you for having to have tried a diet it's, it's everywhere I think that's such a good point about the short-term versus long-term perspective mm-hmm. um like everyone I well, not everyone but I suppose most people would love that quick fix that would last forever but that's the key yeah. thing to so many of those magic bullets or magic bullet silver bullet solutions that we see <laughs> yeah. proposed for different diets and things like that um that you know might be it might be a quick fix but it's not a sustainable long term yeah and therefore it's it. not a fix I guess yeah exactly um and how can we spot it? I mean, I suppose having defined kind of what it is, what does it look like in, in everyday life in, in modern society? So again, be examples. it's like a way, a method of eating. So mm. like uh, what I often say to, to clients and to people that I'm talking to as well as kind of having moral um, implications with food, like you're really good if you eat kind of foods that are considered to be good or clean and what can often happen if, if we label foods as bad and that can often okay. be things like processed foods and sugary foods we then naturally feel bad about ourselves and feel ashamed of ourselves for eating them mm. um and it's things like like I said paying a penance for eating something that you really enjoy by being encouraged to skip a meal or to, yeah, to okay. save all your calories to enjoy that one meal it's it's quite restricted and that's the restriction is where the problems come in okay you know? I see I see yeah because I've heard some, I've read different posts by p- different kind of um, healthcare professionals in the UK talking about things like when we, we hear people say things like, oh, I shouldn't have had that. It was a bad food, yeah. bad for me. Or, oh, you know, I had a big weekend, so I'm going to try and be good again on Monday. And using that kind of moralistic language by food, like you've just said, it can be very damaging without us even realizing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And Stephen, I was thinking about it the other day when I was in a coffee shop and I heard someone behind me order a skinny cappuccino Mm -hmm. and I just thought about how even the language we use there kind of the implications of of how we order different things in in restaurants or cafes and things like that and it is kind of everywhere without us even realizing it um you mentioned there about kind of relationship with food and I think when people talk about healthy eating we often think about like, like the food pyramid or following guidelines or eating our five a day or five to seven a day I guess it is now but I think what we don't think about enough is I suppose how how we what's the word I'm looking for and um, that aspect of the relationship with food I suppose where it fits mm-hmm. into our daily lives and the, where on the priority list it falls and how flexible we are with it does that make sense? 
Yeah, and I think our relationship with food goes all the way back to when we're kids. Mm. Um, like we pick up a lot, obviously, off our parents and our siblings, and it kind of is then nearly ingrained in us. Like I'll use an example: is if I have a client, um, I've had a good few clients actually who may have, as kids, lived abroad, and there there wasn't much for them to do. Kind of, it was quite a suburban area. It was quiet. There wasn't too many hobbies, and food kind of became a bit of a comfort. Yeah. Um, and then they moved over to Ireland and eventually ended up coming into me. But it was great to hear their story. And they were talking about how it was quite a stressful event. And because initially when they were a child, the food was that comfort. It still is now. Yes. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like food is comfort. Food is emotional. Food is like we eat every day. It's a massive mm. part of our lives. Um, and, and sometimes like in that case where the food was kind of the emotional crutch, we just looked at what was underneath. And often um, I don't know. Have you read um, Oprah in her book? Um, what I know for sure. Yes. 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 So Amazing. She talks about, oh, my God, I love it. But she talks yeah. about how weight for her has always been spiritual. And mm. it's always she has her non-negotiables, her her practices that she does every day. And when she doesn't do them, she notices that food is is fills that void. And she kind of her relationship with food slides because it's really so much deeper than it. And food is often just there because it's easy for us and it's it's comfort and it's emotional. Um, it is, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So being aware of that and, and having no judgment towards yourself. Like if you have a poor relationship with food, that there's not that's not your fault. Like it, it happens a lot, mm. um, but you can begin to repair it, and there's steps you can take to begin to repair it. What do you think? And if you kind of feel like you've answered this already, no problem. But what do you think might be signs that we have an unhealthy relationship with food? Then things that a person could look out for. So things like feeling like if food kind of preoccupies a lot of thoughts. So if I was to think of even myself, like. I'm sure I think we've had conversations about this before and mm. um, we met for coffee and things but my relationship with food definitely suffered um, mm. when I was learning about nutrition and I, I kind of tried diets and things but subconsciously you nearly pick up the rules from those diets and it might be oh well I've had a food that I consider to be bad so whether that's a takeaway and it's I have to skip breakfast the next morning yeah. or if you feel like you're going out for dinner that evening not allowing yourself to eat before you go because mm. you feel like you're going to eat too much that evening or yeah. um maybe things like pacifying hunger by drinking coffee or diet soda I've seen mm. so many things um and I think some with good intentions but um if you're feeling hungry you might be thirsty drink loads of water instead of having a meal and while I understand that of course we thirst is really important and staying hydrated it nearly kind of makes us feel like having hunger signals is wrong and there's, there's something not yeah. right with it yes yeah and it's not you know um something I also see that's huge as well is um kind of pathologizing bloating or mm. kind of worrying about um certain food groups like gluten and dairy which of course are really relevant there's a, a lot of people who are kind of do have celiac disease and who are lactose intolerant but they're not they're not a bad food group as as they've been painted out to be so mm. so things like that um there's there's really is a lot of um a lot of signs but mostly if if food causes you a lot of stress or if it kind of preoccupies your mind a lot that's that's a clear sign that you're probably not in the best place with it mm. and I will I suppose reiterate here disclaimer that I mentioned at the start that if people do feel they identify with some of these signs that we've discussed it is always worth checking in with someone in person registered nutrition professional or your GP as well it's really important mm -hmm. to say but I absolutely can relate I mean I am a medical doctor myself but I'm also a human being and I'm also a girl <laughs> and you know if anyone who grew up reading magazines it is so hard to get to the end of a magazine without seeing 
some form of page about yeah. X diet or the thing where they go through what people eat in a day and they get someone to critique yeah. it. I used yeah. to hate reading them. I was like, why? Yeah. What? Like, why can we not just, you know, I thought it was just very yeah. critical and it made you relate it to yourself as well. Yeah, um, you'd feel badly for what you would eat. Absolutely. Yeah. And I remember yeah. when I first downloaded um, Instagram, this is a good while ago now, but to my demise, but it must have been the kind of the nature of what I was following. But I remember seeing like just a lot of posts and it was back when kind of at the time, I think it was maybe the peak of carbs, carbohydrates, you know, the key macronutrient yeah. that we need for fuel being demonized. And I know that's still pervasive, but I remember yeah. finding it really hard not to internalize that. And even though I knew the base of a healthy diet as a doctor, but at the same time, as a human being, it was very hard not to think yeah. of those things as good versus bad. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I recently read, I don't know if you've read her stuff, Brene Brown. I love um, her. She's, she's fantastic. Oh my God, she is incredible. So I'm only kind of new to reading her stuff, but I read, I'm reading her book, Rising Strong, and I just watched her talk. And she mm. was talking about when she was researching vulnerability. She mm. said that for women, she was the, the clear thing that came up was our vulnerability is our body image. Mm. Um, and that's yeah. why diets, they suck us in. Like every, I, I, I'm yet to find a woman who hasn't felt vulnerable about their body. And that's why Absolutely. Um, we do try so many diets and, and it's natural, you know, it's not, mm. we're not failures because we've tried dieting. And to anyone listening, if you haven't watched Brene Brown's TED Talk, it is incredible. I think it's one of the most yeah. watched TED Talks on YouTube, but I'd really recommend looking at it. It almost brings you to tears. It's just fantastic. It makes you think very differently yeah. about vulnerability. Um, yeah. So with, with that said, like I suppose looking at some of those those flags for in a healthy relationship with food, this is a big question. So I know we can't broach all of it, but how do you think we can sort of begin to build a healthier relationship with how we eat? Um, and I suppose recognizing that it's not inherently our fault as you said like it's really hard I know this myself as well not to internalize the mentality of a diet from everything we're surrounded yeah. with in mass and social media especially oh for sure I mean like I see a lot of people to help them with their relationship with food and my relationship with food I've worked on it for a few years and I still have days where I struggle with mm. it and I think it's something that we will regularly struggle with as long as the, this mentality and this approach to food is still out there so yeah. there are there are kind of four key things that I always say to clients and the first is just recognize and acknowledge the the, the damage that dieting is causing um, mm. like we do have a lot of research on the harm that that dieting causes long term like we do know obviously it, it does work short term there's no denying that but mm. if we can recognize that dieting is the problem it can help us break through the cultural myth that diets do work long term, you know, mm, yeah. like if, if dieting is the problem, it can't be part of the solution. So being able to detach from it and just say, right, I know this is not going to support me. Diets yeah. are not helping me and they've, they've got me to where I am now. And, mm. and that's very much the first step. And I often say to clients, sit down and we'll write out a list of the diets they've tried and we'll, we'll write down the reasons they've tried the diet and um, mm. how long they lost the weight for and if they put it back on. And it's actually a really good exercise for them to be able to reflect and say, oh my God, every time yeah. I did this, I just put the weight back on. It just didn't help me. Mm. Um, mm. And then they're able to say, right, what's next? What can I do Yeah, to kind of keep moving forward? So it's a good start. Mm. Um, and then the second is just being aware of diet mentality traits and thinking. Um, like we said, like it surfaces in really subtle forms and it's important to recognize the common characteristics. And this even includes things like like saying, oh, God, I have no willpower. I had to eat those biscuits. I, I'm after failing or yeah. I wasn't good today. I had a really bad weekend like their diet kind of traits and thinking. And again, 
they're kind of attaching moral um moral meaning to food and and you're not a good or a bad person because of your diet you know absolutely um, absolutely yeah so being aware of them and then getting rid of dieting tools um I read a really good quote I can't remember so I think it might have been on Evelyn Turbo's um Instagram page but she basically put up and she said if a set meal plan was the answer our entire country would be full of thin people and we'd have no problems like it's yeah. it's not the answer it doesn't exactly. work so it doesn't work That's it, it. yeah and the same with the scales like all the scales does is make people feel badly about themselves and mm. and we need to to be able to move away from that and I know it's not easy um, mm. it really isn't but to to even acknowledge the dieting tools that kind of you you use or have used in the past and say right I, sure. I know I need to move away from these mm. um and lastly is my favorite and biggest one is just be compassionate towards yourself I um, love that when it yeah when, when everyone around you is dieting it's so understandable to get dragged in um but like like we said about Oprah and, and her her saying weight is spiritual for her there is often a sort of spiritual hunger or void that change in our body can bring and the mm. answer we have to look underneath that we have to why do we want to change how we look like there's always something underneath that and whether it's like I use it could be something like my client who kind of just felt lonely and who mm. who needed to have some more important relationships or it could be a trauma when you were younger and food was there and there there's always something underlying and sometimes it might be helpful to see a mental health professional who can support you and who can go through it with you and, and, and get you out of it. Um, but yeah, just being compassionate. Like we, we, we are so hard on ourselves. and Absolutely. Really we are literally, it does. And where I really feel like we don't, we underestimate how much of a critic we are to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we really, really are. Like it's so hard to ask yourself the question if you wouldn't say, you know, or sorry, not the question, but to say to yourself, you know, would you say that to your best friend? And if you yeah. wouldn't, don't say it to yourself. And that's really easy to say. It's really hard to yes. actually do. Yeah, but it absolutely. is definitely a rule worth living by, I guess. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you mentioned there Eve- Evelyn Triboli, am I right? Yeah, Evelyn Triboli. So she, um, with um, Elsa Resch, created intuitive eating. So they're very much, um, they have a lot of incredible research. It, it's a completely evidence-based approach to nutrition and it's something that you can use for people who do have kind of a damaged relationship with food. Like I, it's not something that I think everyone can use. And I think mm. there is a certain amount of privilege that's required because it does take time and it takes a lot, some, some support as well. But, um, I reckon, I recommend her books, um, intuitive eating. It's like a handbook. And then Laura Thomas, I know you're, you're familiar yeah, with her. her I work, am but indeed, she's fantastic. Yeah in terms of like intuitive eating lunch and put up some incredible information as well so and um they're both dietitians I know Laura is a registered nutritionist and the other two are dietitians in America is that right I just don't know a lot I've heard a lot about I suppose I've heard the phrase intuitive eating I've listened to a lot of podcasts and people on it but I just have not had the time myself I suppose and also it's not my area and I like to stay in lane but I've heard a lot about it without sort of reading into the literature on it. But could you just if we touch on it briefly, tell the listeners what it is, just in case they have heard that as a a, a concept and are like, what what does that even mean? Yeah, so intuitive eating, it's again, it's kind of in line with a non diet approach to nutrition. It's about like when we're kids, they were born with an innate knowing and innate knowing when we're hungry and when we're full. So mm. if you have a baby, like a baby's cry, a hunger cry is so recognizable. They know oh, when they need food. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then when the baby's full, they'll push the bottle away, you know. Yeah. And we we have those cues and and we are as as babies, we, we have an innate knowing. We know 
what we need and when we need it. But as we kind of grow up and there's external factors and external influences, we mm. can kind of begin to move away from that. And intuitive eating, they designed it and it's it's based on 10 principles and a, a good few we have kind of brushed off. So um, kind of rejecting the diet mentality. So, so using a non-diet approach. Mm. Um, learning how to honor your hunger and recognize your own hunger signals and I think that's one thing that hunger signals are almost demonized where it's like oh god I shouldn't be hungry and, and yeah. it's natural you know like food, food is literally energy we need it to function yeah so yeah. so being hungry there's nothing wrong with that um, and then being able to make meals that are satisfying and to not be afraid to eat what we, we like the taste of mm. Um yeah so it's it's really good i think for anyone who would be interested in starting it or learning a bit more getting her book would be a really great place to start um, do you follow tally rye on instagram yes she's yeah fantastic. she's a yeah. personal trainer in case anyone doesn't follow um she's part of a broader group called the girl gains but she's um she's a breath of fresh air i met her at um wellfest actually a couple of years ago but yeah. um and at the time i was actually i did a brief stint of tracking um macros as they say mm-hmm. um this was a couple of years ago now but I'd used it for a summer just I suppose for self-education but I went to Wellfest two months in and she talked about how she just gave it up because she just felt like it was it was limiting rather than liberating her life and it related in a big way yeah. um and I deleted it that day but she shares a lot on um she's read those books I know she she talks about them quite a bit in her her posts and things like that very inspiring yeah, person to follow brilliant. Yeah. And I think that's the thing about counting macros. I mean, I, I did it for years, but mm. the thing is, it is relevant for a certain group of people, like for professional athletes or yeah. if you're really interested in sports and stuff, then definitely it, it's important. But for, for I like to think of the general population, we don't necessarily need to count what we eat um, every single day. And I don't think it's really helpful for a lot of people. Um I think something yeah. I found really useful as a just from my from my own personal experience, but I suppose thinking of of health behaviors as healthy habits and what you can what health they add to your life as opposed to rules. I'm just so done with yeah. rules. I just don't want yeah. any more rules on how I move or what I eat. Like it's just it rules just feel restrictive to me now. Yeah. And like it's an intention. It's and a healthy it's- habit that I like, but I don't have to doesn't have to happen every single day you know yeah and the freedom that comes with that feels so good yeah it's funny I think it's it is a really useful exercise like you were saying to reflect on how you might have internalized that diet mentality like just to give Mm -hmm. um the listeners an example I went out to an amazing burger joint on Friday night called Mm Hanson Burger in Galway and that's not a plug it was just really tasty (laughs) and I was very excited I don't eat a lot of meat but I was like this is meant to be really good so myself and my housemate went out and as we ordered, like I had just sort of had this immediate thought of, you know, white bread on the bun, red mm-hmm. meat and all the and I know all the science behind red meat. And yet still, you know, was questioning good versus bad. And it was this sort yeah. of automatic thing. And I thought, nope, absolutely not. We are getting yeah. a delicious burger. And it was an incredible meal, to be honest. Like it's again, not something I'm going to eat every day, but really yeah. enjoyable, really good for my soul. <laughs> yeah. and but that's, that's it. You and know, you know what? Your awareness of that that I often say to clients like that those thoughts probably won't disappear altogether yeah exactly. to be able to recognize them and say oh that's just my diet mentality that's just stuff I've learned in the past I can still have this that's fine and be able exactly. to still move forward that's the progress that's kind of a bit more freedom around food and that's that's like it's a really great step you know especially when every time you go on to social media or 
onto the internet there's someone telling you not to eat something because it's really dangerous or yeah exactly yeah. or like when people say yeah. oh well if you're hungry you might be thirsty and you're like we probably all need to drink a little bit more water but if we're hungry we might just be hungry and it's okay yeah you know, yeah, that quote. Exactly. I've seen that quote so many times now. Just have a sip of water yeah. and it'll be fine. It's like, no, maybe eat some food. <laughs> then it might <laughs> be satisfying it that way. Like, yeah. um, thankful. I think we've we've covered a lot there. Um, I know yeah. in the lifestyle clinic, you also focus on the emphasis on movement for enjoyment. Yeah. And yeah. I think similarly to, I suppose when we take things when we take things too far with with diet mentality, we can often see exercise solely. Uh, or it can be seen, I suppose, not we, but it can be seen solely as a weight loss tool as opposed to something that is really good for our bodies and can make us, mm-hmm. um, I suppose, feel very happy and be really beneficial for our physical and mental health outside of weight loss. Um, yeah. And I was just wondering, I suppose, why you think it's so often viewed as a means just to, quotation marks, you know, burn calories or just as a weight loss tool, or how can we start to view it differently? Yeah, and I think that is it. Like, often exercise, like, say, if I used to do this all the time. I'd start a diet on a Monday and I'd be like, right, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do my cardio. I'm going to do this new program. And it was just, it was, it was part of the diet. And then mm. actually when the diet stopped, the exercise stopped. And I didn't enjoy it because I was doing, say, like cardio, like on the treadmill. I really don't enjoy it. It's not something that I, yeah. that I want to do. And, and I had no drive to keep going with it. And, mm. and that was kind of how I chose my form of exercise for a really long time. It was, how is this going to affect how my body looks or how, many calories I burn or is this going to make me have skinnier legs or more toned arms and that was my mentality and I, I completely stopped enjoying it and I just stopped exercising and mm. and that's why I kind of moved and I'm trying to emphasize moving for enjoyment Um, so I took up a completely new exercise and now I try and sit down every day and I, I don't force myself to do one particular type so one day it could be I do I love doing CrossFit so I might go to a class and I have the benefit there of meeting incredible people people and we have such Mm. fun and it's like it benefits me in so many ways and I genuinely enjoy it but some days I'm so tired I'm like you know what I'd love a yoga video and I'm just going to sit on my carpet take out my mat and maybe do 20 minutes of yoga but I enjoy it yeah exactly yeah just trying not to see it as a chore like exercise when you like the form it feels really good you know yeah I Um, think that's so important I think it's often we all like I suppose like one thing I posted about recently was like it doesn't just fitness does not exist solely in a gym you don't have to be in a gym mm-hmm. to move like it's on your doorstep you have a pair of legs and you could just be outside going for a walk as yeah. simple as that yeah. Um, yeah. but it can be really hard to break free of what social media is kind of saying is the way to work out I remember I fell into the hit trap for far too mm-hmm. long and thought a workout Being only there. counted <laughs> yeah like but in sweat yeah. didn't count you know and I've even written about that on the blog and it's a really great place to get to to figure out what you enjoy the most because it's actually it's yeah. hard to not do it for that reason and yeah. you do miss it yeah absolutely yeah it's so important and it's sort of yeah. that one size fits all I guess the same with nutrition but you know, I guess people often feel like they do have to be in a gym to actually be exercising. But like I say, there's just so many other ways to do it. And just because your friend, you know, runs doesn't mean you have to run. If you hate running, don't run. Like, you know, do what you enjoy because you're going to sustain it in the long term, I guess. That's it. There's also so many different factors. Like even a gym membership runs somewhere that a CrossFit membership and stuff has financial implications as well. Absolutely. It's about finding what works for your life. And and like there's some months before I started the clinic, I was like, oh, my God, I need to just I'll just be walking. I need to do mm. something like I can't afford to be 
paying for a monthly membership and stuff so it's about what okay. works for you at this time in your life as well like getting outside and just walking is amazing like absolutely and walking is so unbelievably underrated I have to say yeah. I just wish more yeah. people kind of I suppose appreciated how simple it is like it is it's free like it's kind yeah. of moderate intensity activity it can be as light as you want and it gets you outside like fresh air yeah. nature bit of green space it really is that now I'm just I, I love it so I'm a huge advocate yeah. for it but <laughs> it, like people think oh does that count and you're like what does count even Absolutely. mean like, count for yeah. what purpose the benefits yeah. your physical and mental health even... you feel good you know that's it it's just about reducing our sedentary behavior and sometimes yeah. like if someone asks me what can I do to to improve my movement I'm like if you're sitting at a desk for eight hours a day break up your sitting periods and just get up okay. and walk around every half an hour an hour because that's mm. going to be beneficial rather than you sitting non-stop you know and Absolutely. simple things like that that can also have a positive effect especially when you're doing it like consistently so yeah. we I don't need people... to be sorry yeah you go for it no I was just saying I don't think we need to be killing ourselves every day in the gym or like there's exactly. there's flexibility and and it's got to be what you enjoy totally like even if people are wondering does that light intensity activity even count like there was actually a huge study published in the bmj last week it was basically a big systematic review and meta-analysis and they looked at total physical activity at all types of intensities i think yeah. i shared a post on that the weekend but they basically found like obviously as we know high volume sitting time especially going above kind of eight to nine hours like it is you know, it does have carry an increased risk of mortality. But if we break that up with light intensity yeah. activities throughout the day and we, you know, are active throughout the day in particular, it actually really does substantially reduce um, the mortality risk. So it does count even just like yeah. getting off the bus to stop early, taking the stairs, getting up every 50 minutes, half an hour, whatever you're able to do. It mm -hmm. all makes such a difference. Yeah, absolutely. So I know we've chatted about, uh, we've chatted for quite a while actually. And I said to Robin, yeah. the listeners, I said to Robin at the start before we started chatting that I would keep us to 30, 40 minutes. And I'm so determined because I always fail it miserably because it's too much no, to talk it's about. A good chat. It is a good chat. Um, but I suppose fourth, I think we'll move on to chat about something that's been really uh, controversial and very topical. Mm -hmm. um, and that is weight stigma. Now, yeah. Um, I suppose we'll explain what that is in a second for the listeners, but it's something that's been in the news and on social media a lot over the last few months in particular. Um, there was a Cancer Research UK obesity awareness campaign launched. Um, there was a very recent Weight Watchers app launch for children. And um, that's the latest mm -hmm. kind of controversy in all of it. Um, and I guess I suppose it's probably worth diving into this a little bit. And I want to ask you, I suppose, if you could tell the listeners, what is weight stigma? So weight stigma is very much focusing solely on weight. So, so an example I would use is I, I have a client that goes to visit um, their GP and regardless of what may be going on in their health, if they are above a certain BMI or a certain body size, they are told that they need to lose weight to improve their health. And it, mm. it's that focus solely on weight. And, and the reality is weight is an outcome of so many complex variables and we don't have control over it. And then if we stigmatize with a person's weight, it often leads to them to feel shameful and it just has the opposite effect yeah. on what we, yeah, exactly. Um, mm. So in terms of the crux campaign that we were talking about, um, yeah. it very much did stigmatize against weight instead of supporting and prioritizing well-being. And I think that's, that's what's important. Um, and I know from working with two GPs myself, I don't know, it, it's not a case that I always think that, it's deliberate or intentional mm. I think it's 
it's very well meaning underneath it like yeah it's it's a, it's a way we've been trained even when I was working as a nurse and training as a nurse and um, there was very much a focus on like patients BMI and how we could speak to them about the importance of having a reduced weight for cholesterol and type 2 diabetes and all these things and one of course those things are relevant like it's really important to look after our heart health and and things like that if we just focus on a person's weight it just leads to them feeling shameful. It doesn't encourage them to look after their health. It doesn't promote health. Absolutely. And I suppose I want to yeah. say, like in mentioning the Cancer Research UK campaign, if people didn't see it, the one this year essentially um, had basically, it was kind of, I suppose, signs of uh, billboards, if you want to call it that. But they were cigarette packets with the word obesity, where you'd normally have the mm. brand name of the cigarette. Now, the, I'm not in any way criticizing the incredible work the Cancer Research UK do to support cancer care and research. That's not a pretty no, at all. It's just an example of how inflammatory a topic this has become. And I think it is something that is really important to talk about. Because we know from the literature, I guess, that the weight-based bias um, is widespread and it's widespread, as you've given an example there, in, in the healthcare profession and in society in general. Um, and yeah. as you've said, weight is not a product, like it's a product of so many factors. It really, yeah. like drawing the line at like a, an individual's um, background, their genetics, their biological factors, their lifestyle, it's just so unfair. Like We live in such yeah. a different environment to what we did even 50 years ago. Like it's so much easier to be sedentary than it is to be active. Our food environment and our food industry mm-hmm. have a lot to answer for. Like it's been called obesogenic for a reason, you know, and mm-hmm. I think there's definitely not enough said about that, Um, which is why this is such an issue and why it's really important to be talking about yeah, it. Yeah, and I think. I think you're so right as well. And the crooks do incredible work. And like I said, mm-hmm. I don't think... I don't think weight stigma for a lot of people, there's anything malice, malicious about it. It's just kind of... It's you don't even realise. Yeah, it's just kind of bred into us to... Like, I used to think like that, definitely. And it was because I was trained, like, Western-trained um, nursing, and it was just how how it was taught and 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 that's okay but I think conversations like this I think there's so many people on Instagram doing really great things if we're aware of it then we can kind of start changing the way we 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 look at it like I had a gorgeous client in um she's been with me for a while but she came in and her first consultation she was telling me that she had such a poor experience at uh, a hospital appointment and she was made feel so ashamed of her weight that she will not go and seek medical um help because she's too embarrassed that they will comment on her her body size and and that's the opposite of that's the opposite of what we want to do like we want to encourage we want to support and prioritize well-being like we Mm. don't want to to discourage people to 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 go and receive medical attention you know absolutely Um, and that's that's where the real issues come in with it and that's why I think the conversation is so important well completely I mean even I was reading a study about uh, weight stigma today it was part of a Lancet publication from from last year but like they were talking I guess about how we already have such widespread health inequalities a lot of which stems from socioeconomic inequalities and we know that health you know I suppose follows a social gradient and weight stigma in particular can contribute towards inequalities even within levels of society so you know if we're saying a person is offered less services because of 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 stigma around their weight then there it's a vicious Mm -hmm. cycle they're likely to access care and they may not be given the same health education advice that someone of a lesser size might be like it's so so problematic and it really doesn't empower or, or inspire you know someone to take on positive health behaviors that would improve their health regardless of their size you know exactly yeah and that's it we want to promote health not mm. shame and and hopefully we'll be able to move more and more towards that 
completely um, and I think yeah. it is just a case of just highlighting it and like it's yeah. something I genuinely and I would hold my hands up and say um a few years ago I would have never even thought of um yeah. and, and it was because it really wasn't a conversation it was just how it was approached and and mm. I think it's really great now that it's being changed and that we're we're talking about it yeah I mean maintaining an open mind with all of it is so important I'm actually going it's yeah. funny it was as well time but I'm actually going to um, essentially like a mini conference on improving care healthcare services for people with overweight and obesity in Ireland it's run by mm-hmm. Professor Donal O'Shea and um, he's a okay. clinical lead for obesity in Ireland and a consultant endocrinologist on Thursday and really that's so we're recording this on a Monday for the listeners so it'll be going in a couple of days but I think it's fantastic to see I suppose a desire at the medical level to improve access to services and to uh, in particular, bariatric surgery is something that I think in Ireland they're really trying to improve funding for and improve access for patients too. And mm-hmm. um, I actually listened to him on the radio recently um, and he was on with a, a body positivity campaigner. And it was actually a really nice conversation talking about how we need to improve access to services for people you know, with obesity. But also we need to be promoting the fact that we can all gain health and improve our health at every size. You know, and it's as you, yeah, as we've said, it's, it's not the sole determinant of health. It's just so many more and so many more that are completely out of our control, like food environment, the, the you know, sedentary lifestyles that we are more, uh, I suppose it's easier to lead than to be active, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's it as well. And I think as well, like how we we label people who um, like I like to say, like are in a bigger body or a smaller mm. body. And it's not kind of labeling a group of people as just being obese. It's they're still people there there there's so much more underneath it all and I think exactly that we can just talk about it and look at it differently and mm. promote health and encouragement I think that's so important and and again I'm talking about Brene Brown again I'm so obsessed with her. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing about shame we don't want people to feel shame no, we don't want not at to, all. to be to be a part of people feeling badly about themselves and and like you said like socioeconomic status status genetics and trauma play a massive part and like mm. we don't have control over a lot of variables that affect weight and it's not as, as easy as saying change your weight it's yeah. not that easy eat more it's move really less it's, it's just it's actually yeah, so insulting to reduce easy. it to something so simplistic like I just really yeah. think it's such a narrow-minded way to talk about things and particularly now that I'm in public health I can just particularly from my master's I can just see there's just so much like, there's just so much more there's an amazing diagram I shared on my Instagram recently um, by a pair called Dahlgren and Whitehead but it essentially is like a semicircle model and at the center of it is like let's say me as the person right in my individual my age my my sex my genetics and then around if you picture a semicircle so the next mini thing around little circle around me is my lifestyle factors around that is yeah. my social and community network around that is my daily living and working conditions and around that is my broader like sociocultural and economic environment those are all yeah. determinants of health it's not just me at the individual saying at the individual level saying like I should probably eat more fruit and veg and walk a bit more like it's just not that simple it really really isn't exactly yeah and, and I again, say that as I'll a person hold my hands up and say that I've done yeah. that before as well and, yeah I, I have neglected yeah. to look at the big neglected to look at the bigger picture and and to take into consideration the entire population and okay, it's, it's yeah. really important and I'm grateful now that I'm aware of it and I'm glad that I've learned from that and I think like all of us like it's it's progressing hopefully in a really positive way and we can we can make it easier for people and and just make everything more accessible and absolutely just yeah just encouraged so I think it's really positive 
And on that note, Robin, I suppose I am going to try and bring our chat to a close. But I wanted, Mm -hmm. first of all, to thank you so much for sharing your time and your knowledge and experience. I think it was a really valuable conversation. I hope it gave people listening some food for thought. And as always, we'd love to hear your feedback. You know where I am and you know where Robin is now as well. But Robin, I always ask my guests to give the listeners um, one tip that they could bring to their lives to give a little bit more of an Irish balance, if that's not too cheesy um, to say. But if there's kind of, you I mean, if you want, I'll let you away with one, two or three tips, but just some positive um maybe like health behaviors I guess everyone could maybe add to their lifestyle to get a little more balance and compassion in there yeah and you know what mine is definitely around the concept of self-care and Mm. it's something that I think like some people kind of kind of cringe when I say self-care because it's there's kind of different thoughts around it but for me self-care is like my main um kind of aspect of health and self-care can include cooking a dinner that's healthy self-care can include going to the gym but it's it's kind of my non-negotiable thing where I do something for myself every day and I'm completely selfish about it Mm. and it kind of just helps me and it makes me show up in a better way for work and my relationship and with my family and just taking the time even if it's five minutes some days it's three like it doesn't matter but just have something for yourself every single day be selfish put yourself first and and it'll only benefit other people um and I don't mean like going and paying for a fancy massage or or things like that like something as simple as if you can get an extra half an hour sleep if you can you know have five minutes in the morning for a cup of coffee and just be by yourself and just have a, a bit of moment a bit of time alone I think it's just so important and it'll only help other aspects of your health I couldn't agree more. I think that simplification of self-care is so important. Like for me, it is getting out for a walk in the morning, which might be short, it might be long, but it ends with a good cup of coffee. And it, that that's it's as simple as that. There's no bubble bath. Yeah. There's no massage. God, I wish. But anyway, um, yeah. something yeah. as simple as that or just, you know, taking just even five minutes for yourself in a day and kind of think, yeah, what's going through my mind? How is my day been? How am I doing? Um, I love that. Thank yeah. you. That's a really valuable tip. I know it was very, very, it was kind of room for a lot of stuff in there. But I won't say that's cheap. I think that was clever. (laughs) (laughs) Robin, thank you so much. Um, Thank you for having me. Not at all. Could you let people know again where to find you and any, I suppose, upcoming things you have uh, or anything you'd like to flag, I guess, in terms of your content or clinic? Um, Yeah, just let the listeners know where to find you. Yeah, so our website is www.thelifestyleclinic.ie and then, as we said on Instagram, we're at the lifestyle underscore clinic. Um, so I try and keep on top of as much social media and try and share as much information as possible. Um, so yeah, that's it. I really know you're fantastic to follow. I'd really encourage everyone listening to follow yourself. It's just really Thank refreshing. You. It's a great voice to have when you go into Instagram. I just think we need more positive um positive accounts like yours follow I think it's brilliant so thank you again so much no problem thanks to everyone chat soon yeah thanks to everyone for listening and (laughs) as always do let us know what you thought of the episode you can leave a comment on your preferred podcast platform or you can drop me a dm or robin or both of us and I'm looking forward to talking to you guys on next week's episode bye